Hello and welcome to Wayward Witch, a pagan podcast. My name is Miranda, and I'll be guiding you on this journey through non-denominational paganism every other Thursday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For updates and interactions, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wayward Witch Podcast, or on Twitter at Waywitch Podcast. All that said, let's walk this path together. Happy Halloween, everyone, or whatever you do happen to celebrate today. To start off, we're going to kind of debunk a few things. So, contrary to popular belief, or what a lot of other people would think, especially starting in paganism, is that it is not pronounced Samhain. I know that a lot of people watch Supernatural, and I remember the episode where they called it Samhain. It is not Samhain. It is a Gaelic word, and the proper way to pronounce it is Samhain. Also, not everybody in the pagan community celebrates Samhain. For me, as an example, as I have stated before in this podcast, I am a heathen. Therefore, I don't celebrate Samhain. I celebrate something else, which I will cover here in a few minutes. The holiday of Samhain is celebrated in Wicca, um, which is where it kind of had its revival in starting in the 1950s. Um, but it's also celebrated a lot in the Druidic circles or the Celtic circles, which, contrary to popular belief as well, are not the same thing. So those who may be practicing either heathenry or Hellenic practices, maybe getting involved in Asian mythology or even Hindu, those people typically don't celebrate Samhain because there are holidays that are tied to those particular belief systems. Throughout my research on this episode, I did notice that not all cultures had a practice like Samhain or Halloween or any celebration that is designated for a particular day throughout the year to celebrate the ones that have passed before us. And if they did, it's not really very well documented or even at all. So without further ado, let's go over a few of the celebrations that are held around the world on days like today, or maybe a little bit different. In heathen practice, we have Alpha Blut. It's a celebration between the end of autumn and the beginning of winter, and there's really not a lot that we know about it. A lot of say, a lot of historians will say that it was shrouded in a lot of secrecy, but I have a little bit of a differing theory here. So back in the olden days, whenever everything was being taken down by historians and outsiders were coming in to make records of the practices of the Norsemen, they primarily focused on the higher-ups in the society. People like your chieftains, your high-ranking warriors, stuff like that. And because they came over and they're talking to these pe- these people, they probably didn't get a lot of information because, one, they probably weren't too keen on giving outsiders the, the information. Um, and for two, the people that would primarily practice these things weren't really in the high ranks. So I I think that may have been the reason why we don't really have a lot of documentation on it. So despite the normally strict code of hospitality during this day and age, strangers weren't really allowed to enter the farmsteads during the the Alpha Blut. However, most historians seem to agree that the lady of the household 
manage the celebration and that the elves were actually closely associated with the ancestors. You can kind of think about this in the way like how the Celtic Isles would view the fairies or the fae. Now these elves would primarily focus on the ancestral fathers, since the word for elf, which would be elfer, I believe is how it's pronounced, is distinctly masculine and offers no feminine version in Old Norse. Despite what a lot of us are reading on social media these days and a lot of the information that we're getting on things like TikTok that is very, you know, women were the center of everything in, in Norse paganism, there was still a lot of sexism going on. Granted, Norse women did have significantly more rights than other women of similar cultures at the time. They were still a lesser, I guess you could say, caste than men were. It's likely that during the Elphablut, the elves were probably honored as the spirits of dead ancestors and worship as part of the life force of the family. So while I'm not talking about Samhain first on this list, and the reason why is because a lot of us are very familiar with it, but trust me, we'll get there, is that I want to see about all the parallels that we can draw in that familiarity. So I'm sure you guys have heard before that there is this idea, this hypothesis, that the Norsemen and the Celtics, the Celts, I apologize, um, shared a lot of ideas and traditions. So a lot of this sounds really familiar because the relationship between the Norse and their idea of the Fae, which would be like the elves, is very, I, it's very much identical to the relationship between the Irish, the Scottish, the Welsh, and all of those, you know, civilizations um, regarded the Fae. And I, I always thought that was kind of cool. I, I feel like venturing a little bit away from my ancestral roots, which are Celtic, and going towards Norse, it makes that a little bit easier because there are so many common ideas between the two. I, I think it's rather magnificent. We see it a lot across religions all across the world and all across time even, where there are parallels that we can draw. So yeah, I just, I think that's pretty neat. Um, Alpha Blute's pretty fun. I normally, I, I have to be honest here, I normally don't really do a lot of celebration on days like today, like Alpha Blute, because I feel like I, I honor my ancestors pretty often. I do a lot of research into who I come from. I honor the people that I know and love that have passed away on a nearly daily basis. And I feel like my own practice is so deeply rooted in ancestral worship that today's just kind of another day for me. I do take a little bit to reflect and honor the time that is today where the veil, the veil is the thinnest, so to speak. I think that's pretty cool. I haven't really noticed any specific coolies the last few years, but I like to think that that's because my, my ancestors are a little more dormant. They're a little more at peace, and I don't need the guidance so much right now. So I take that as a pretty good thing. Hopefully they're not mad at me for saying that. Watch, I'll probably have nightmares tonight where I'm being smited by my ancestors. But yeah, I, I treat it pretty normally. For those who do practice the Greek pantheons or the Greek way of going about things, um, y'all have anthesteria. I'm sorry I butchered that word for a moment. 
So this is a festival of flowers that's held about February, which is a rainy, green, lush time in Athens. It's heralded as the coming of spring, not winter, and was dedicated to Dionysus and had the opening of new wine. At the same time all the other temples were closed, it was believed the gates of Hades were open and the spirits of the dead came back and had to be driven back to the underworld when it was over. This is pretty similar to Day of the Dead in Mexico, so people would often invite these spirits into their homes with drinks and food and, you know, all that fun stuff, all of our creature comforts to make them feel a little more at home for the little bit of time that they did have coming back to their families. I also think this is pretty telling of the mythos behind Persephone in Hades to where she got to come home during the springtime and got to spend time, you know, in the earthly realm that she was comfortable in and where she originally belonged. So other people got to come with her and got to celebrate that that time of being able to be with the people that they love. And it's it's very symbolic of that as well. I, I personally think it's really beautiful. I, I love all the little tie-ins. There's a lot of little tie-ins here and I get really amped about it. In East Asian beliefs, they have the Hungry Ghost Festival. Around this time, people believe that the spirits get restless and begin to roam the world. This festival is a way to feed these spirits both with food and money that they would need for the afterlife. It's a part of a larger month-long celebration that also features burning paper and food offerings. I think it's really neat that across all of these celebrations, food is a very centric part of how we honor our ancestors. And I personally believe that food is something that brings people together throughout all ages, no matter what. We could see it today in social media where we're sharing food pictures all the time and we're learning about different cultures through their food. And I don't know about you, but whenever my belly is full, I am definitely happier. So I imagine that's very much the same with our ancestors. In India, they have Pitru Paksha. So in Hindu, it's believed that whenever a person dies, Yama, the god of death, takes that person's soul to the idea of purgatory, where they'll find their last three generations of a family. During this time, you guessed it, the spirits would be allowed to come back to earth with their families. In order to ensure their family's place in the afterlife, they would have to perform a ritual called Shraddha, which was a fire ritual. If Shraddha wasn't performed, the soul would wander the earth for eternity. This particular celebration is a 16-day lunar period in the Hindu calendar. Lunar calendars are pretty common across a lot of different civilizations, I guess you could say. I do know that the Jewish calendar is lunar, the Hindu calendar is lunar, and I want to say that the Muslim calendar is lunar as well. Now, while most of us do follow the, the lunar calendar of our own, which is known as the Gregorian calendar, the calendars that other civilization use, civilizations use or other religions use 
are a little bit different than the Gregorian calendar. That's why the Chinese Lunar New Year is a little bit different than our New Year on the Gregorian calendar. I want to say that theirs starts in like February, while ours obviously starts on January 1st. So the Hindu religion has been beautifully preserved, and Pitripaksha has all sorts of stuff that is so heavy to unpack. So if you want to look more into that, you know, you can check Wikipedia, start going from there. I know it's a bad source, but you know, whatever. You can you can launch from any point that you wish to and learn all about that stuff. As you know, I highly encourage you to do your own research. I think it really builds up your own knowledge rather than just having me talk to you. So definitely check that one out. It's really beautiful. There's so many intricacies to it. In Nigeria, the Igbo people practice a festival called Uruuru. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Odo. The Igbo people believe that the spirits of the dead, known as the Odo, live among them. And they return to Earth to visit their families once every two years. So this particular festival isn't celebrated every year, but once every two years. Whenever the, Obo arri the Odo arrive... They come as costumed men wearing masks, sometime between September and November, and depart in April. Before they leave, there is a big theatrical performance reenacting the story of their visit and the agony of their departure. There's a lot of music going on whenever this happens, usually xylophones, drums, and rattles. I cannot pronounce the name of the rattles, so I'm going to try here. Obilenu? Obilenu, which means that which lies above. During this time, huge shrines are erected, uh, masks are refurbished that the Odo wear, and they will create new ones. Only the Igbo men are allowed to go about these preparations as well, so they're done in like super secrecy so that women cannot see what's going on which I, I think is a little weird but you know everybody has their their own rules to what they do what the women are in charge of though is to make sure that there's enough food to serve the odo and any visitors who may come to watch the performances now while every family will worship, go about celebrating their own odo the the spirits residing over their own family there is a big celebration in April that features all of the Odo, the Odo groups from all of the families. After that performance is over, the Odo climb the Yukehe Hills and make their way back to the land of the dead. With them, they take the prayers of the living who appeal to them for abundant crops and for many children. Women who recently given birth often bring gifts of thanks. Now, as most of you may know, Samhain is celebrated from October 31st, which is today, until tomorrow, November 1st. It's to welcome in the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. People who do celebrate this believe that the barriers between the physical world and the spirit world are thinner during today and allow more interaction between humans and the other side. So the Celts mark today as the most significant of the four quarterly fire festivals, 
which takes place at the midpoint between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. During this time of year, hearth fires in family homes were left to burn out while the harvest was gathered. After these fires were left to burn out, later on in the day, usually the evening time, there would be a communal fire that went down in the villages or whatever collective that they had. And these communal fires, whenever they were burning, people would be able to take those flames and put them in their hearth to, you know, relight and start anew. And I always thought that was pretty cool. To light these fires, the people of the community would work with the druid priests and use this wheel that would cause friction and spark flames. The wheel was considered a representation of the sun and used along with prayers. Animals would be sacrificed, usually cattle, maybe sometimes sheep. Typically a life would be given in thanks. The Samhain festival every year was mandatory and it would last three days and three nights. If the people from the community didn't show themselves, it was believed that the gods would usually punish them with either illness or even death. A little before, during, and a little bit after Samhain, people would often drink and eat to excess as a huge celebratory feast, and you know there'd be wine or mead, ale, whatever, and they just have a rowdy old time. The Celts really suffered at the expansion of Christianity, and the celebration of Samhain wasn't left out of that equation. Initially, Pope Boniface in the 5th century tried to move this celebration to May 13th and tried to designate it as a celebration for saints and martyrs. However, he didn't stop the fire festivals of October and November, so those didn't really end with his ruling. Then in the 9th century, Pope Gregory tried to move that celebration back to the time of the fire festivals, but declared it All Saints Day, which is November 1st. And we see that today in the Catholic faith where they still practice it. We saw the revival of Samhain whenever Wicca really took hold in the U.S. and England, and it really spread like wildfire in the 1980s. Because around the 1980s is whenever Wicca really started to explode around the world. Now, in Wicca, you can actually see how that would be very befitting, because in that particular practice, they used the Celtic Wheel of the Year. So it's really no surprise whenever most people think of Halloween as a pagan tradition, they immediately go, oh, it's Samhain, because as everybody should know at this point, the most common pagan belief set with, you know, the, the rising boom in, in paganism and the occult is Wicca. So it's only natural for all of us to go, oh, today's Samhain. Speaking of Irish practices or Celtic Isle practices, there is a really interesting story about the origin of the modern jack-o'-lantern. And for those of you who have never heard of it, it is the legend of Stingy Jack. This particular story can be found on history.com, but I'll go ahead and read it off for you guys. According to the story, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. True to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin that Jack could use to buy their drinks. Once the devil did so, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross, 
which prevented the devil from changing back to his original form. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that, should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While he was up, the, up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross in the tree's bark so that the devil could not come down until the devil promised Jack not to bother him for ten more years. Soon after, Jack died. As the legend goes, God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven. The devil, upset by this trick Jack had played on him and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell. He sent Jack off into, into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth with ever since. The Irish began to refer to this ghostly figure as Jack the Lantern, and then simply Jack-o'-lantern. In Ireland and Scotland, people began to make their own versions of Jack's lanterns by carving scary faces into turnips or potatoes and placing them into windows or near doors to frighten away stingy Jack and other wandering evil spirits. In England, large beets are used. Immigrants from these countries brought the jack-o'-lantern tradition with them when they came to the United States. They soon found that pumpkins, a fruit native to America, make perfect jack-o'-lanterns. Now, one of the cool things that I read about this particular story is that people would see Jack roaming around at night and you could see the little light from hell flickering from inside his lantern. And what historians believe is that this little light that they saw were will-o'-the-wisps, which is a little light that comes about whenever, I think it's the gases from the bog or something, like, interact with the air. So I, I think that's pretty cool to note as well. So to end today, before I give you, you know, my goodbyes, I did have an interview with a wonderful friend of mine named Luna, who decided to tell us a little bit about her personal practices for this day. So hi, go ahead and introduce yourself. I already know who you are. So I am Luna, um, and I'm going to talk about a little bit of the Day of the Dead. Ooh. Go ahead and pop off. Tell us all about it. All right. So uh, contrary to popular belief, it has nothing to do with religion. It's literally just about remembering our ancestors and celebrating the lives they led. Because most of our ancestors did some pretty cool things or some pretty illegal things. And a lot of times we want to talk about it. And this gives us an entire holiday to do so and celebrate and eat a lot of good food in their honor. So like that's that's like the just bare bones of it. It is not just for Hispanic culture. It is for everyone. So when you see like sugar skulls, calaveras and like love muerte and Katrina's being like paraded around, it's not appropriation. Everyone just want to throw that out there. It is for everyone to celebrate because we want to know about your past because the past is important. And I mean, your ancestors will talk a lot of shit. Just saying. If you don't so one of the them. questions I have about that is I'm absolutely terrified to talk about things that belong to BIPOC um, regarding any kind of, I, I guess you want to say, culturally significant practices that are outside of my white people thing. 
Like, are, are people like me that are mayonnaise white able to teach about these things? Oh, absolutely. As long as you do your research and, like, you're teaching about it respectably, 100%. Day of the Dead is not just for Hispanics. It is for everyone. Because it's not about, like, our culture holistically, even though it stems from it. It is about knowing where you came from so you can know where you're going, which is the super important part. It's all about thinking, forward thinking, like, looking at your future and then setting those goals and those destinations. So what do you typically do for Day of the Dead? So the biggest thing um, is setting up an ofrenda. So and think of it like an altar, but specifically for your ancestors to come back to so they can see how messily you set up the tablecloth. Like, and if anyone thinks I'm joking, I'm really not. My aunt had a lot to say last year. But uh, so you set up uh, like as nice as you can and within your budget, because Day of the Dead's not about like going big or go home. It is about setting up what you can in order to remember whom you want to remember in the way you want. So that's lighting candles, that's setting uh, pictures or even items that pertain to your relatives. So that way they can continue to exist in the land of the remembered. So when you get into the legends and why we do this, it is said that La Muerte created this big, beautiful afterlife. And in order to stay there, you have to be remembered. And in order to get across, like to come visit during the Day of the Dead, which is the one time a year where our ancestors can come back and, you know, dink around and bother us, you have to be on somebody's ofrenda. So it's super important that you remember them and you talk about them and you celebrate the lives they led, even if they were a little bit criminal, like the good kind of criminals, like banditos and stuff. But, I mean, that's pretty much the gist. I mean, on my ofrenda, I always put, like, pictures of my uh, my relatives that I absolutely, absolutely adore. Um, there are some that don't make it on the ofrenda, but they're definitely somewhere else in my family, and that's okay. But I put them on there. Uh, I put Selena on there, which... I know, not like Selena Gomez, but like the Selena, but that's because she's somebody who definitely impacted my life and she was gone entirely too soon. So you can, it's not limited to family, friend, like family, friends, celebrities and all that jazzy business and pets. You can put pets on your friend. Don't be afraid to stick your cat on there. So what do you typically put on your friend? Uh, a lot of times last year I did uh, these like handmade sugar skull lollipops. Um, and I did a sweet bread and then I did, uh, which is super like soul foodie. I did pound cake because it was definitely one of my grandfather's favorite things. And I put their pictures and then I used tea lights last year. So like the little tea lights you can get at like Donald General, just because I didn't want to set my, uh, my apartment on fire which was a super big thing. And if you have pets, tea lights work better than candles because if you have dinky cats like mine, then they will probably try to knock the candle over and send you to a fiery death. Uh, that being said, if you have cats, do not use marigold or chrysanthemum petals. They are highly toxic to, pet, to, to cats. Like, I don't know about dogs, but I wouldn't do it either because they might try to lick them up off the floor because you're supposed to build like a path. So what I did was I just hopped over to Michael's and I got like a bunch of orange flowers, ripped the petals off like the fake ones that they can't eat. And then I put them on the ground because it's for the same effect. The thought process is you're guiding them back home. But I also don't want my cats to meet an early grave. That and flowers are like 17 bucks and they were like a dollar a piece at Michael's. As they should be. Now, I do know that according to social media, and I know that anybody listening, obviously, you know, probably all of them don't have you on social media. 
but you were talking earlier today about how your cats happened to get a hold of your ofrenda. Like, what happened there? Uh, well, it's a dinky old table that I got for like it was like at a yard sale. It was like ten bucks, and like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be one person to say like you need to have a massive expensive ofrenda. Like, do it cheap, do what you can, and then build on it for years to come. Uh, but my cats like to scratch at stuff, and they are kind of dinks about it. Um. So they'd been clawing at one of the legs and finally it gave way to the rest of, you know, the rest of humanity in 2020. And when I came out to see what the commotion was, I just had four sets of eyes looking at me like, oh, hey, mom, what's cracking? <laughs> like, heard you liked your ancestors being mad. And I was like, oh, great, guys, you're the best. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Is there anything else you want to give us about Day of the Dead? Like anything whatsoever? I not so much just like cook lots of good food and just tell stories about your family like have fun with it like don't feel like you're appropriating if you decide to like do the like calavera or sugar skull look or if you're wearing the long like beautiful flamenco dresses or anything like that don't feel like you're appropriating the culture you're joining in to one of the most important days which is followed by one of like the most emotional days which is the day of like it's all saints day and that's when we remember all the children we've lost so it's super important to just remember be happy about it even though it is kind of like melancholy but like have fun like, invite your friends over. It is definitely a family, friends, and kids-oriented thing. Maybe not cats. <laughs> definitely not cats with the phone. Not cats. They're not invited. Or, you know, with the tables. <laughs> well, or just get you. a brick. No, oh, yeah, just, your... yeah, just put your old friend on a brick. That's what you need to do. Build a <laughs> cinder block one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're doing next year. No, well, yes. of course. <laughs> <laughs> send pictures <laughs> oh i will i don't know how i'm gonna make it up this year but boy oh boy if i don't if you don't see me on monday my ancestors came to have a chit chat <laughs> r.i.p in peace i will haunt I, you I, i'm here for it i love you thank you oh you're welcome i love you too To start off, I want to thank Gina Simmons for continuing to support this podcast on Patreon. If you want to support me too, you can head over to Patreon, look for Wayward Witch, and I'll be right there. That's all I'm going to do to plug that. <laughs> I do want to thank Luna too for being such a wonderful, just human being for interviewing with me today and explaining about the Day of the Dead. I know that everybody has their own particular rituals and practices that they want to do on this day and I hope they all went beautifully for all of you and if you're ever in a rut and you don't know what to do on whatever your practice is today just leave out some food be happy and just take some time to remember who you came from and who made you who you are there's a lot of ancestry running through our blood and a lot of what our our generations past have instilled in the people that eventually went on to raise us. So as we live out every day, we are carrying them on in spirit. And to me, that's immortality. There are a lot of faiths out there that believe that as long as the memory of somebody lives on in another human being, that person is not necessarily dead. That's also 
ringing true in, you know, in, in my faith with Havamal, where it is spoken about how everything will die in this world except for your reputation. And your reputation becomes your memory, and therefore, you never die. So, hopefully that makes everybody feel better today on, on as I like to call it, dead day. So, I hope spooky season was incredible for you guys. Let's not forget that food season comes next. It is not present day quite yet. If you are putting up your winter holiday tree tomorrow, um you're terrible <laughs> not really but ooh, why um, <laughs> I do hope everything continues to be good for you I hope all of you are making it through this mercury retrograde retrograde way better than some of us are um, I, I just I hope that everybody's doing great and if you're not reach out if you are reach out anyway but at the end of the day Never forget, witchlings. Be kind, be brave, be unstoppable. I'll see you next time.